Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, everybody. It is good to be back. We have got an awesome guest with us today. Um, one of our dear friends, actually, of Julie, our producer. Everybody loves Julie. Resident um, hype girl, my old when, boss. <laughs> when Julie is a fan girl, you know this person's going to be super special. And so I'm really excited to spend some time today and share Mary-Kate Tolan with you all. She is the manager of ALSAC, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We all love St. Jude. And so anybody that would share a little bit of time with us and share about their mission and about the incredible programs they have, you know, it's going to be a wonderful conversation. But Mary-Kate has seven years um, experience in the philanthropic industry, and she is skilled in all sorts of things, cultivation, management, stewardship, you name it. But she really has developed this wonderful partnerships management program, and she's going to share a lot of incredible tips and tools uh, that all of us could really apply to our own industry. So I want you to meet Mary-Kate. It's so good to have you. Hey, John. Hey, Becky. Hi, Julie. Hey, hey. Thanks for having me Welcome. Today. We have a University of Arizona uh, yeah, graduate here. and go as, Yes, go Cats. <laughs> and Are we, there cactus all over campus? It's Is really it beautiful, yeah, and it's dry the whole year. It's really nice. Oh my gosh, John, I feel like that's people like people asking us if there's teepees all over Oklahoma. So <laughs> no, I remember the first time driving through Arizona, I was like, oh my gosh, there really is these giant cactuses everywhere. And it's like mm-hmm. amazing. It's like the surreal experience. And I love that just talking about the human elements of the people that we visit with because we have so much great stuff to dive into with St. Jude. I mean, yeah. just one of the most recognizable brands and um, heart string pulling nonprofits. But one thing everybody needs to know about Mary Kate is she is the foremost expert on Oreos in the country. <laughs> I oh my gosh, for you. That's right. we found that out. And that endeared you to me immediately um, because who doesn't love a good Oreo? So if there's anyone listening out there that I has mean, connections to big cookie. top brass, um, it's Mary Kate's life goal to somehow um, be connected and sponsor this amazing cookie. So I, I will retire if I could ever produce a partnership between Nabisco and St. Jude. It would be my hey, ultimate Let's just put that in the universe so right now. We'll Somebody out the there universe. is listening and their wheels are starting is it to turn. double stuff or regular is your preferred? Halloween, double Easter. Double, double stuff, st- you gotta go. With it. But I've standard. tried, so there's like been like 50 flavors and I've tried, I think about 30 of them. But double <laughs> stuff remains... True. <laughs> you really Love are it. an expert. Wonderful. Well, can you uh, just dive in a little bit and talk about how you got started in nonprofit, your career journey, and anything you want to share with the community? Sure. Yeah. So my journey into the philanthropic industry, the nonprofit industry, was actually by accident. So when I was a um, undergrad at University of Arizona, I actually wanted to be a teacher specialized in accessible education for students with exceptionalities. That was my heart. That was my passion. Um, And I had two goals after school. So I could either go to grad school to become specialized in that area, um, but I'd also applied to be a traveling leadership consultant for my sorority. And I got the job um, being the traveling leadership consultant for my sorority. So post-college, I traveled all around, went to these different um, chapters, helped them with conflict management and, and leadership development. 
And I thought I was only going to do that for one to two years, but I actually got hired on staff with them um, and their headquarters are in Memphis, Tennessee. So I moved from, to Memphis, Tennessee um, and worked for them at their headquarters for about one to two years. Um, and then by the grace of God, I actually got a job at ALSAC, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So ALSAC is the awareness, fundraising and awareness organization side of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And so um, there was a, my former boss at, or my boss at St. Jude had worked at uh, Chi Omega, my sorority, and she sent us a job opening and I actually got it. And um, I, I think, again, by the grace of God, I, I got to LSAC St. Jude um, and have been there for five years, five years um, this month, actually, my anniversary is August 31st and anniversaries are super big at LSAC. We call them LSAC-versaries and um, it's very celebrated within the organization to um, stay longer and longer. And that's when I knew that this kind of organization, obviously the mission was powerful, but the, the company culture is awesome too, because they, they celebrate those milestones. So again, by accident, got into the nonprofit sector, but like now, all of us <laughs> and thank goodness. Cause then I got to be your intern three years ago and <laughs> learned from that's you right. and I moved to Memphis for the summer and got to hang out with Mary Kate and she is one of the most phenomenal people I've ever worked for and gotten to witness working. She's a powerhouse. So she manages huge partnerships at St. Jude and has a lot of wisdom. So I'm excited for you to be here. I feel like I'm back trying to impress you as an intern. <laughs> Thank you for saying that, Julie. But I, as soon as I hired you, I knew that you would probably be my boss one day. So oh, that's oh ultimately, and John, you, you, you hire these feel. interns, you develop them, and then you hope that they will hire you one day. Yeah. Well, oh, actually, people. yeah, that's uh, that's John John's story. He used to be my intern back yep. in the day. So, <laughs> yes, totally full circle now, and he is my boss. <sighs> hey, so I'd love to hear just kind of you fill in the gaps for those. St. Jude's is so recognizable, but there's pieces of it that a lot of us may not even know. What makes it so special and unique? Just to kind of set the stage for all the good discussion we're going to have after this. Yeah, St. Jude is so unique. Um, first, because our cre our our um, creation story is an immigrant story, so we are so proud of our origin. Um, our founder, Danny Thomas, was a son of an immigrant family that immigrated over from Lebanon, and he was out on the West Coast trying to hit it big as an entertainer. That was his passion. He was a great orator. He wanted to make it big in the LA industry, um, and he was super down on his luck. And he and his wife, Rosemary. Um, couldn't pay their bills at that time. And so he went, he was a devout Catholic, went to church on Sunday, put his last $7 in the offering and prayed to St. Jude Thaddeus, our patron saint of causes and said, St. Jude, if you help me find my way in life, I'll build you a shrine. Well, the very next week he was cast as a dancing toothbrush in a radio commercial. You know, everyone was like oh, sound, tap God. dancing, just like podcasts, full circle. Um, and it paid 10 times what he put in the offering and enough to cover he and Rosemary's bills. So he saw that his prayer being answered and he never forgot that. Um, so he went on to have a, a prolific entertainment career, but he never forgot that, that promise to St. Jude and built the hospital based on, um, multiple reasons, uh, you know, in Memphis, Tennessee, cause it was pretty central at that time. He wanted to, uh, he, he was dream, dreaming about the impossible. He wanted to cure childhood cancer because it was a death sentence in 1960, right? Acute lymphoblastic leukemia was 4% survival rate. And, um, thank God it's 94% now. Wow also wanted to, um, he built the hospital as a thank you to America, which I love. He said, thank you to this country for all the, uh, 
prosperous opportunities I've had. So we're super proud of him. We're super proud of our origin story, um, that it brings people together, no matter where, what walk of life, um, you know about St. Jude, you know that no family ever receives a bill for St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, and food. And we, we maintain and hold on to Danny's dream. We still refer to him as uncle Danny and all things. I love that. <laughs> I mean, we're in the business of finding ridiculously progressive out there, disruptive ideas. And we love this just innovation, innovation kind of spirit and entrepreneurial spirit. But what a crazy dream in 1960. Who could have, I want to know who the exec was (laughs) that went to the president of St. Jude and said, no one is ever going to pay a bill here because I don't even think we can wrap our mind around what those numbers would be because you're also talking about having to raise above that line for operations. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. tell us, um, and and I just love how unapologetic St. Jude is about running toward innovation. So kind of tell our listeners about how this concept of no cost to families came up and what kind of a fundraising goal that has to be to be able to achieve that. I know. Isn't that incredible? It's I joke that if this was a college group project and that was your mission statement, no, no person is ever going to pay for the, the services you receive. It automatically would get an F, right? That's yeah. just not, <laughs> you like just don't do dream. that nowadays. Yeah. And, and like you said, Becky, we've remained true to that. And that is our driving force is we want these families that come to us who have just found out that their child has been diagnosed with a catastrophic life disease, or maybe it's a relapse and this is their third bone marrow transplant. No one else can do it besides St. Jude. Um, we want them not to worry about it. We don't want them to have to take out a second mortgage on their house. We don't want the mom or dad or the parent, the guardian to have to lose their, their job because they're with their child here in Memphis, Tennessee for, you know, a week at a time, um, all of that. So it is innovative. It's progressive. We've stayed true to that 19, since 1962. And that is our driving force. Um, and that just that spirit of staying true to the mission and the no bill also relates to our company culture. Our CEO reminds us constantly, if we don't innovate ourselves, someone else will, you know, I mean, there's tons Love of examples of like and Netflix and, and, and Domino's being, um, they, they, they happen to sell pizza, but they also actually see themselves as a technology company. So he constantly reminds us that we're not just a nonprofit. We should think beyond that. And we need to disrupt ourselves, our fundraising initiatives, every stream of of donors and donations that we have, we have to constantly be reiterating um, because our donor base will change and the world is changing too. Oh, that's so amazing. And imagine when you have the freedom from the very top level of an organization to dream, to be creative and how that allows you to just run toward that which most would think is very ridiculous, ludicrous and unachievable. It's like, this is why you know, when you think of the great innovating companies, why a nonprofit could be among that top list. So bravo. I just, I love that story. I do Thank too. You. And I just think St. Jude's so big that there's a lot to your fundraising team, but I know your specific expertise is really in this partnerships area, right? And so could you kind of walk us through what that looks like and who you partner with and kind of your processes? Yeah. So I'm specifically in the collegiate sector. So um, I mostly hold the, the relationships with three partners, three Greek organizations from different sizes. One is male, one is female, and one is co-ed. Um, one is national, 
um, or excuse me, two are national and one is more regional. And um, I kind of got thrown into that. All of a sudden I was an account manager for these awesome, awesome partnerships. Um, so I really had to learn quickly and learn um, how ALSAC worked, but also how these, these organizations that already committed to St. Jude work. So admittedly, I will say I have, I have never sold on a partnership, but I was fortunate to inherit these partners already sold on to the St. Jude mission. So my job became stewarding them and, and taking them to new heights and upselling them. So I do have three takeaways for partnership management if you want me to go into that. Let's have them. Do All it. Right. Let's count grab down. your pin, awesome. grab your Let's pin, people. This Back is the note-taking note portion of this interview. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, John, thank you. If you're driving, pull over. <laughs> okay, okay. Yep. Uh, so the first one is intimately get to know your new partner. Learn how they tick, learn how they talk. Um, read the material they publish online, their website, their newsletters to their members or their employees, watch the videos that they're publishing. I tried to imagine myself working for them or being one of their employees or their members um, because I knew, well, I learned later that if I could be a better partner to them, if I knew how they worked and talked because I kept giving them, let's say marketing materials and they would have all these edits. And I was like, I constantly kept getting all these edits and it just slowed the whole process down. And so once I learned, oh, they like, they like this word instead of this word, let's say they liked charity instead of philanthropy. I started asking for those marketing materials from our marketing department with the word charity in them. And that cut down the edits and that cut down um, the time to, to get them what they wanted. So intimately get to know them, absorb yourself if possible, you know, back post COVID, go to their conferences, listen to how they talk. Also learn their, their hierarchy. Who are the decision makers and who, who are you talking to and who do they elevate that communication to? So I learned pretty quickly that I myself was just, um, a. a, a uh, just a point of contact and that their organization, the awesome person I got to work with is just a point of contact too. So I learned that that point of contact was actually um, lifting up everything that I said to the CFO or the CIO or the CEO. And pretty quickly, I learned that their meetings were on Wednesdays and I always got answers on Thursdays. So we started having our meetings on Tuesdays. So smart. So yeah. We had our meetings, they got their answers, then I got the answers, and things just worked so much quick, quicker. Um, in terms of size of the organization and how much they're giving to you, I have, I base my communication off of that. So our biggest partner is a weekly face-to-face -face meeting, or virtual, obviously. Uh, the next partner was a bi-weekly email communication. Um, we actually preferred not to talk over Zoom. Um, or, or meet in person. It was emails was so much easier for us. And then our regional partner was monthly. Um, so learn your partner, learn the staff hierarchy um, and, and learn how they tick and how they talk. So it's really Number no two, different. Sorry to cut you off. It's, it's the same idea as cultivating a donor. That's it's what learning I keep thinking. what's their values. How do I appeal to them? What are the pieces that we're going to lift up and understand their language? So I love that you're applying that to companies too, because they have personalities in that same sense. So that's great. I they do. That. They're a whole entity, their whole being. And it's Number like, we're not trying to get anybody to fit into our box. You know, we're, we're, we have a mission, but that's not a box. You know, we want to adapt in the space that they're in and the, and the values that they hold dear. And we want to lift that up. And I mean, it's no different than knowing 
how your donor takes their coffee, <laughs> you know, when yeah. you go to take <laughs> right. them in. It's like, it's those little things that say, you know, thank you, Mary Kate, for getting us, for knowing us. It makes the process easier and it enriches the relationship. So those are excellent, excellent tips. Number two. And I was so new to the nonprofit sector that I was trying to fit them into how I wanted my coffee or how Alsac wanted the coffee. And I had quickly learned that's that's not how you work. Right. Excellent, excellent hack. Excellent. Okay, so, okay. so we got number, number one. Yes, that was an excellent number one. one. <laughs> <laughs> number two, never say no to your partner. This is customer service 101. Never say no. If they ask for something, um, and you're, you're like, Ooh, I, I kind of know that that's not going to work. Always say, let me research that and get back to you. And so I would usually give myself about a week grace period because we had these weekly meetings. So I would never say no right off the bat. And let's say you go research it. You align with your other internal departments, you align with your leadership and you still can't do or produce what they asked for. You never, you still don't say no. You provide them one to two alternatives because you should be solutions oriented for your partners. You don't want them to see as a stopgap. If they're constantly asking you for things and they're not getting something, what kind of partnership is that? They're like, why are, why am I giving my money to St. Jude? Why am I continuing to partner with them? So be solutions oriented and customer service is king. Hey friends, we hope you're enjoying this conversation. Want to dive deeper? Head over to weareforgood.com backslash hello to join our mailing list, The Good Community, and start embracing innovation and goodness. You'll be connected to all the resources, tips, tools, and show notes shared here. It's a treasure trove of freebies and maybe even some complimentary swag. Now let's get back to this awesome feel-good conversation. Excellent. I love that. That's part of just being a good citizen of any organization too. Nobody wants to just hear the problems. They want to hear the solutions and coming with solutions is the way to do it. So well, and that's, that. that's missions. I mean, yeah. that, that is, that is a, the compassion sector. It's like, we all have problems. We just need to think creatively about how to meet in the middle on them. And so I think that that's an excellent, excellent tip. All right. Number okay. three, last one, drum, drum roll. roll. Number three, Jeez. drum roll. Constantly remind them of their impact. Remind your point of contact. Remind their staff. Remind their members. My motto, Julie heard me say this a million times. If you, if I haven't said it this month, I haven't said it at all, right? The world is changing too quickly for us to just do one little marketing campaign at the in the fall and think that everyone's going to remember it in the spring. So anytime St. Jude published a new study or came out with that we cured bubble boys disease, also known as XGID, or um, came up came out with instead of $2.2 million a day to run the hospital, it was 2.4 now, I would constantly remind them that this is why St. Jude needs you. And on the flip side, you know, at the end of the year, when they had raised seven, eight million dollars for the hospital, big celebration, remind them what that seven, eight million dollars that meant you know, 10,000 blood transfusions. These means that meant um, two outpatient surgeries. Remind them why, why they need to continue to support you, but also always acknowledge their impact and put it into real tangible things that they can say, this is why I helped St. Jude. I helped this family going through this process and, and, and this catastrophic disease. And it's like right there, that's where the rubber meets the road. And this is why, in my opinion, St. Jude has been so successful for so long. Because when you say something like, 
you know, you helped us, you know, in, enable 10,000 blood transfusions. All you have to do is put one picture of one child, their family yep. up there. And I feel immediately like I've made a difference in one person's life. And then you put the 10,000 and it's like, oh, I'm giving again. I am definitely giving again. I want to be a part of how that feels and what the world looks like by by that. So that is such a smart hack and, and just a testament to lifelong stewardship and lifelong impact. And I think in 2020, you said something, and I feel like I need to pause on this. In 2020, which is like the longest year of our lifetimes, it's right? It's almost like a cuss word <laughs> at this point. So, But how true is it you said, if you haven't said it this month, you haven't said it? Because in, in 2020 time zone, I mean, that feels like it's been a year. Every month yes. has been a year this year as we're processing <laughs> and trying to adapt. So I love that. It's like you, you can't say thank you enough. You can't steward enough. Um, so I love that that's where you camp out. And you've been camping out on that since before COVID. So newsflash. <laughs> it works. It's sustainable. It works. Totally sustainable. I wonder if you could walk us through, because uh, I think a lot of people are saying like, how do you start like building a partnership relationship? I mean, if you could even give us an example of, you know, one of your partners and where you started at the beginning and how you nurtured that and where it is today, I think that'd be a great, um, something for everybody to listen to. Yeah. So I would, I would pit my two partners against each other. So the biggest one that I stewarded nationally and then the smallest regional one, I took so many learnings from the big national, that one that was already um, ingrained in the Alsac family. That was um, pretty much, I just picked up everything else that the, the previous account manager was doing, but I got to take those learnings into the, the smaller regional one. So um, the first one was actually having meetings with them. Um, so prior to me um, managing the smaller regional one, they didn't really hear from St. Jude. There was never um, a constant cadence. So I put it upon myself. I said, I'm going to set up a monthly meeting with my point of contact. And throughout that entire month, I would write little notes of what I wanted to share with that person the next month. So that was tip number one, because that was already happening with the really big partner. Then number two was all the marketing materials that I was already requesting and making for the large partner. Light bulb moment, asked for two of them. Just slap the other logo on it. <laughs> there not, you not go. Really, really. But we, we really do make customized pieces for each partner, but why work harder and not smarter, right? right. And then um, the I say, I think tracking is huge. So people constantly want to know how much the organization they're a part of contributed to St. Jude. And we did not have a tracking system. I'm, this blows my mind as one of the largest nonprofits. We did not have a tracking system for that small partner set up yet. We did for the big. So as soon as I was able to implement the learnings from the large partner for the small partner, I was able to send monthly reports and monthly updates of you guys have raised this much. And so now you're at this much and now you're at this much. And so then we started get to see year over year. And it is, it's not to say you guys need to do more. Or you're not doing enough. It's as soon as you show people numbers, there's that internal competition. Um, and when they see that sweet, sick baby, they're like, I have got to do more and we've got to do more than last year. So as soon as I was able to turn around and say, here's how much you did last year, that internal fire kicked in. Um, and that partner really took off. And it's like the most incredible reaction to competition because competition usually is about yourself and what you want to do to be the best, to be better. And this turns it completely on its head and says, 
I need to figure out a way that I can do better for this, this child, for all these families. And I love the spirit of what that does. Cause I am a very deeply competitive person. Julie and I have this in our bones. We may uh, be nice, look nice on the surface, but do not throw down a game of dominoes <laughs> at our house or Uno or things are going to get serious. So I really love this kind of refreshing way to say, Hey, take that competitive urge and channel it for good. Right. And you, and, and the end result is just so fantastic because you're doing bigger, better things and you're growing every year. And I mean, and the donor gets to share that, that success with the family. That's, that's so feel good. Totally. I wonder if you've got a story of a partnership that's really come full circle and it's been a, just a, what we call almost a magical experience in philanthropy when you're like, oh man, this is, I'm in the zone. This is where we need to be investing. Yes. So um, it's a little professional and it's a little personal. The best. <laughs> so, um, a, a true moment of combined success was I worked with a partner um, at the, the front with the largest partner that I had. And we had to develop a whole new curriculum in which to teach the next um, philanthropy chairs. And we were going to present it at their annual conference um, in the springtime when the new new leaders were accepting office and getting trained. And so this was months of making sure the curriculum looked right, um, read correctly, um, met the met the new leaders where they were, you know, made it, you know, some TikTok references. Um, and it really felt like we were working on it together. It did not feel like she was from this organization and I was from ALSAC and we were doing this together, it was like, we worked for the same organization to the same goal. And that was really fun. And then at the end of it, um, we had a great, you know, the, the curriculum was awesome. It was revamped. We had a great conference. Um, she actually sent me Easter egg Oreos in the mail. <gasps> that is a and love I, language. Easter egg Oreos. I've seen those. What? Can we link They're them up yellow. The they're light blue. We will get a photo. We will put it in the show notes. <laughs> they are joyful Oreos. You can probably find a picture of Mary Kate with them, smiling with them. <laughs> All right. We're going to work on procuring that for our community. Mary Kate, try to come through. <laughs> I will. So it was just a moment of, oh my gosh, we're friends now. And, yeah. and that's the beauty of philanthropy is you are working with the best in people and you're working towards the best. And so these moments of joy are just tenfold because you're like, we did this together. Yes, we're colleagues. Yes, we're from two organizations, but we're friends now. And mm -hmm. I, I, it's just awesome. Yeah. That's a great story. I, I mean, when you're working with worthy missions, it is really hard <laughs> to not get into that friend zone because the the goodness that you just feel connected in is just already there and you know through the grace and the innovation of technology i mean it's so easy to just pick up a phone and shoot a text and say oh my gosh guess what i just heard happened um in the hospital i want you to be the first to know about it and it yeah. and that i mean just putting a little heart emoji or you know whatever on that just connects us I think more richly than it ever has before. So that was a great story. I love that. You know, I think um, you, it's a good transition into what we have been, were talking about before we got on the call with you is just that St. Jude is such a master storyteller. And, and they do it across all of these mediums. And I, I was telling the group that I had um, just memories from being a six or seven-year-old child and somehow stumbling on like a one or two-hour 
um, I, I don't know if they're documentaries, but they do these profiles on these families and these children at St. Jude, and, and you have the story, and then they break in and tell you how you can help. And then, and I remember, even as like a seven-year-old child, feeling so emotionally sucked into this story and feeling so concerned about these children who looked about my age and what can I do? And that has stuck with me, you know, for 30 plus years. And I, and I think it's just brilliant because you've got it in video. And then Julie tells me that one of the head of your videos at St. Jude is a grateful patient, all the feels, all the feels. Um, but I mean, even in direct mail, you know, which is very hard to connect with people. I, I visually remember, you know, a direct mail piece coming to my home that had nothing more than, what childhood cancer mortality rates were like in the 60s and through St. Jude's research, what they were today. And the gains were so shocking, you know, from like a 3% survivorship to like a 98 today. And I mean, that is a powerful statement quickly, you know, with data. We all love data. It's it's a necessary (laughs) evil. We don't like working in it, but we love what it shows. And it's like, even through direct mail, that is a very compelling story that makes me just want to check a box real quick, tear off my uh, return address envelopes. Thank you um, for those, for my cards and send in an easy little check. So I wonder if you could just talk about the culture of storytelling that exists at St. Jude. Absolutely. So I'd be remiss if I didn't start and acknowledge that these are our patient family's true stories, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't it is not lost on any of the employees that work for ALSAC each and every day that we have a job or we can continue to fund this mission. Um, unfortunately, because children are still being diagnosed with these catastrophic diseases. So everything we do is for them. Um, but then we do have the blessing and the responsibility to share their stories to continue the mission too. And huge shout out to our creative media services department, our marketing department, our, our writers, because like Becky, you mentioned, it's across all mediums, it's video, it's um, direct mail. So in all forms, these, these stories are being transcended up, up beyond the screen and beyond the page um, so that you, it tugs at your heartstrings. And of course, we've done research with our, our core messages. And I remember listening to our chief marketing officer who said they even did research on the no bill. So they said, our, one of our core messages is no family ever receives a bill from St. Jude. They, they did all sorts of AB tests. They did no family ever receives, um, no family ever pays for anything. That actually did not perform as well as no family ever receives a bill. And it was because the empathy that people feel when they, they, they read, receive a bill, that they knew how, what, receiving a bill meant Mm. no family ever paying um so lots of research has gone into like you're saying sharing those those stories making sure that those patient family stories transcend beyond the screen and the page and then i'll also say um you know we are now trying to tap into the global community and we know that the the core message of no family receiving a bill doesn't actually work as well in other countries. Let's take Canada, for example. They have a universal health care. So we did research there. And one of our core messages in the Canadian sector is no family pays for medication, travel, housing, and food because they don't receive bills for their, um, their medica- medical care, but they do still have to pay for medication 
Um, and they still, of course, aren't paying for travel housing or food when they're at St. Jude. So it's little, little changes um, due to data and research, like you said, um, that helps those, those stories transcend. Well, I think, oh, sorry, but I was just going to say thank you for saying that because my public relations heart is just like beating so fast right now. Focus groups are important. I mean, if I have learned anything in marketing communications, it's what I think I know is wrong. And what I assume <laughs> is going to happen is wrong. And so when you test these messages, you cannot underestimate uh, the power of giving your base a microphone and letting them tell you what they think. So bravo. Sorry, John, please no, go ahead. Good. I mean, I just feel like it's been a thread throughout our whole conversation is contextualize to audience, contextualize to your audience. And it, there's not... Even St. Jude doesn't have the silver bullet one tagline that's going to work everywhere. And it's like mm -hmm. they know and you've innovated enough that you have to appeal to different countries and different audiences and different people and different partners. And I think that's the beauty of what y'all have realized so long ago and why you've one of the reasons why you've been so successful in fundraising consistently. So, Mary Kate, I would love to know you've got you just exude with so much goodness. You've got to be inspired by some really influential people. I'd love to hear just kind of who has spurred you on in your journey and who you kind of look to, to lead you. Who's the yeah, wind beneath you your wings? Asking. Who's the wind beneath your wings? Who's your inspiration? Can we cue some wind beneath your wings, please, Julie? Let's hear it. Let's <laughs> no, just kidding. You do not Man, want to hear me sing that. <laughs> I wish we would have coordinated that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would have to say my high school choir teacher, <gasps> shout out Miss nice. Montana. She just retired this year. Um, she was instrumental in um, helping me build my confidence uh, all throughout high school. She saw in me what I couldn't see and um, said, you're going to do it. No questions asked, right? One example was uh, she made me sing the solo for one of the jazz songs in front of this huge audience. And still to this day, I'm pretty sure it was not that good. I have not watched. <laughs> My heart is beating so fast. I was have such stage fear. Let's go. <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't listen to it. But, but the fact that she did that for me and, and helped me build that confidence, um, people need that. People need that, especially when they're young, they need that person to say, here's your, here's what I see in you and work towards that. I've learned that people will always rise to your expectations. So you got to send high. If you set them here, they will, they will meet that. But if you set them here and they go here, you already got them higher than when, where they thought they could be. So that's, that, that's who's the wind beneath my wings. Oh my God. And, and it's so wonderful that the wind beneath your wings is a vocalist. So and that you said she was instrumental. I'm just like geeking out <laughs> on all the dad jokes I could do, but oh it was my so good. God. Hey, my mom is a junior high choir teacher. So that speaks to me and little shout out fancy Nancy you made the podcast um thank you and and for and it's so interesting because you expect people to go to very traditional places in there with their parents and it just goes to show you know how one influential person in your life seeing you can ignite something that is just you know transcends everything you know in your career so thank you for that lovely shout out for I'm having a flashback to having to give a massive presentation at St. Jude at the end of our internship for our internship project and I'm having like absolute panic sweat to Mary Kate because <laughs> I do not want to go do this presentation I am a behind the scenes gal and I'm literally having a flashback to her saying, you're going to do it and you're going to do it well and I went out and, and what did else it. did I tell you to do Julie you had to wear a I don't remember. Smile? A blazer. Oh, a blazer. A blazer. A blazer. I was like, 
was like, is this a trick question? Yes, Mary Kay always also said you dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. So Mary Kay, she's like, very wise. Kind you guys. Of, yeah, like, had to dress a blazer, a had to wear like Play-Doh. <laughs> I just am having that flashback of you encouraging me to go do that. So. Oh, I love love that. that. You know, one of the last things that we talk about and we ask our guests is what is one good thing that you could offer to our listeners today? A piece of advice, um, something that you learned. And what's your one good thing, Mary Kate? My one good thing, I would say know your mission, right? I didn't know my mission before I started working at Alsac St. Jude. And now I do. And whether that's um, directly the St. Jude mission, um, it's not, but it, it's working for the good, right? It's finding what fuels you every day. You're going to have bad days, you're going to have bad weeks, and you're going to have bad years. But stick to your guiding light, your personal mission, um, and it'll be okay. I think Mary Kate's going to be successful in everything she does in life. She everything. is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for visiting with us today. I mean, I just feel like there's been so many excellent takeaways that our listeners can hear from not only just the partnership piece, but stewarding, messaging, and really just meeting your donors where they are. I think, you know, one of the biggest takeaways for me is we we need to adapt and we need to be nimble. And I think that's that's kind of culturally what nonprofits are used to doing because we do things on shoe, you know shoestring budgets, but it's like at the end of the day, we cannot just get out the one size fits all playbook because when we choose to be unique and customize to our donors, the relationships that we can yield um, on the back end, I mean, that is the long game that we talk about all the time. We have them for life. And, you know, in, a, in the most selfish way is we're all chasing goodness. I mean, I look at your face, Mary Kate, and I hope you'll go to our YouTube channel and just see how cute Mary Kate is and how smiley she is because she, you get so much out of that. It's so clear that this is more than a job for you. And bravo to St. Jude for being innovators, being an organization that celebrates every little thing. Uh, Julie and I have that on our Enneagram. Um, celebrate everything and, and retaining their employees. I mean, you are a walking billboard of what happens when you invest in people that have a cause for your mission. So we appreciate everything you've brought to our community today. Um, how can people connect with you, connect with St. Jude? Yes. Um, you can connect with me. My social media on Instagram is MaryKate44. Um, St. Jude is at stjude.org. We would be happy to hear from you. We love any and all idea suggestions, donors. So thank you for supporting St. Jude. And thank you, Becky, John, and Julie for having me as well to share the St. Jude mission. It has been a wonderful conversation. We've loved every minute Come of it. Come back anytime. Yep. Our Open door policy. That's it. <laughs> Thanks, Mary Kay. Thank you. Bye, MK. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope Mary Kate's interview and her three tips for building deeper, more meaningful relationships can enhance how you work with your organization's partners. Head over to weareforgood.com backslash hello to join our mailing list and enjoy our best content, resources, show notes, and more. If you loved what you heard today, would you consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and leaving us a rating and review? I know it sounds crazy, but this really does help more people find our community. Thanks, friends. Our production hero is the most St. Jude fangirl in the room, Julie Confer. It's true. Our theme song is Sunray by Remy Boersboom. Sorry, Remy, we can't get your name right. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. 
Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.